Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thanks, buddy. Um, I think, I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's um, Pastor Appreciation Month, and I just want you guys to know how cool that guy is that just came over here. He speaks very highly of you all. He cares about you all very much, and he does a lot of work to make sure that the things that happen here, whether it's social or teaching or whatever, um, that those things are done really well so that you guys can grow in the likeness of Jesus. And so um, I just don't want you to miss that. Like, it's a gift to have Caesar as your leader, um, which is kind of funny. His name's Caesar because he's a... But um, (laughs) it's not that... Okay, it's that funny. It's pretty funny. Um, speaking of dad jokes, I uh, just became a dad, and so I thank you. Come on. I would, sorry, can you guys see? I just need to make sure everyone can see. Um, this is my baby boy, Jack. Uh, you know, <laughs> should have done a picture with my wife in it, too. <laughs> Don't tell her. Um, He's six months old. He's a delight. We're so glad uh, that he's a part of our lives. And um, I love him very much. And I miss him even right now. He, never mind, he went to bed an hour ago, so I wouldn't be hanging out with him anyways. But um, I just had to show you that to tell you a little bit about who I am. So my name's Tanner. Uh, That's my son, Jack. My wife's name is Ashley. We've been in Orlando for eight and a half years. We've been married for eight and a half years. I've worked at First Prez for eight and a half years. Um, yeah, we just decided to make all major life changes at one time, um, <laughs> which honestly, not a bad call. Beyond, you know, we didn't have a chance to get used to anything else before that, but we love Orlando. Um, I've been out here to Mosaic Church a number of times for the various conferences and things that y'all's church puts on, and it's incredible and deeply helpful. Um, especially as it relates to serving the city. I think your church does that super well. Um, They are uh, benevolent in so many ways, generous in so many ways, and we have learned a lot from your church. So just to let you know, you guys are in a good place, and um, I hope you know that. I hope you invest here uh, deeply. If this is your church home, I think it's worth doing. Um, But yeah, I work at First Prez. I'm the young adults pastor. I also serve in the mission seat. So I do kind of our benevolent stuff as well as our partnerships. And then um, I'm moving more of my time over to discipleship just recently. And so some of the things that you'll learn today are things that we're trying to teach our people uh, pretty much every week because we think they are concepts that really matter. So um, I know uh, these are sermons. This will feel probably like a hybrid between a teaching Um, like a Sunday school kind of deal and a sermon. Um, But nonetheless, I will probably find my way into preaching at you at some point. So don't worry. I'll get um, probably a little more animated than I am right now. Uh, But yeah, I'm very grateful to be here tonight. Um, I'm grateful to have some friends with me. Can you guys just raise your hands? Okay. Yeah. These are good friends. They fought Orlando traffic to be here with with me tonight. Um, 
Yeah, I love Jesus so much. And if you leave with anything tonight, I want you to leave with the good news of the gospel that is the, not only the transforming power as it relates to your salvation and your reconciliation with the Father, but also, as we'll talk about, there is a pattern to the gospel that actually transforms everything, including our work. And so I'm going to try to connect that dot for you tonight. But before we get there, I'm going to take you on this massive, really long journey to actually say what I just said. But if you can just hold on to that idea that the gospel, Tim Keller says it's the ABCs of the Christian faith and the A2Z of the Christian faith. I think it's both of those things. All right. So we're going to kind of talk about that tonight. But last week, Caesar spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2. He was teaching us a lot about the idea of creation. And he was teaching us a lot about how work was a part of that, right? It's pre-fall. It's a good thing. We're called to it. We're made for it. All of this kind of stuff. So I'm going to give a little bit more legs to that idea. Um, the, the first kind of big idea we're going to talk about is structure and direction. And so if you are to look at my art here, um, that was supposed to be a joke. This isn't a good drawing. I'm not an artist. Um, but the first concept is, is structure and direction. And you already, you already know all of this. Every, you, all, you all know this completely because this is how the whole world works. But God made things in a certain way for a certain purpose. Amen? Sure. Okay. So you're with me, right? Okay, good. So um, let's just say, would you call that a road bike or a mountain bike or not a bike at all? <laughs> I'm just kidding. A mountain bike? Okay. It was supposed to be a road bike. So I'm already, <laughs> I'm already not doing... Well, thank you. Do you see the curved handles? Thank you. This guy knows. Okay. Yeah. It, sure. There's a lot of things wrong with it. We won't worry about that just now. But the idea of structure and direction, like I said, is that God made everything in a certain way for a certain purpose. So if this road bike, right, is directed toward, let's say, I don't know, a road, You guys are so much more generous with your laughter than, man, I'm at a Presbyterian church, and I tell you, there are times that I am like deeply, deeply sure how unfunny I am. (laughs) Like, it is like, oh, and we have so many like different generations of people, like, my friends here tonight are like my peers, but then the traditional service, like no one's under 50, but some of them are like 101, including, not kidding, including my Nana. She's been there for 70 years. That's amazing. That's more than twice my lifetime. She's belonged to one church, right? I, no millennial can understand that sort of commitment <laughs> to anything. <laughs> Except for maybe Apple products. But if this road bike is put on a road, it's going to go well, right? Yeah. yeah, that's great. Now, there are other directions that you could push a road bike or take a road bike, and one of those would be a mountain, right? Now, tell me this. Is it, I'm not trying to be funny anymore, I promise. Um, <laughs> now it's easy to make you laugh. Okay. <laughs> What would happen if I take a road bike on a mountain biking course? It's not good, right? Bad news bears. It's not good things. Um, Why? Because it wasn't made for it. And that's like, I'm treating, you know, you're like, talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Tana, that's what you've been doing. Stop it, right? Like, that's so duh and so basic. 
And yet what we have in Genesis 1 and 2 is this really wonderful picture and a gift from our creator to say, here's what you're for. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm not trying to keep any secrets. I don't want to confuse you, humans. This is what I made you for. And it, it really all boils down to these relationships. So look at my, more of my art over here, right? So they work in concentric circles, and that means like it's like a Russian doll thing kind of deal. Yeah. So the very central relationship that we were made for, and we read about this in Genesis 1, that we're made in the image of God and for relationship with him. So that has got to be this first and primary relationship. It sits right at the center of everything. And then outflowing from that, we actually have a relationship with ourself. And often we talk about this when we're talking about mental health or identity stuff or maybe anxiety or whatever those things are. Those are all conversations about my relationship that I have with me. And in creation, God says, this is who you are. I made you to be in my image, but I also made you to be uh, vulnerable, but not ashamed of it, right? You have this really weird thing in the garden where they're naked and you're like, what's the deal? Like, why? It makes me uncomfortable, right? A little bit. Why does that make us uncomfortable? Why, why does nakedness make us uncomfortable? Because it has something to do with vulnerability in the self, and so when we're in the space of nakedness, we're kind of like, oh, this is, maybe this is shameful or it ought to be intimate or it ought to be like reserved for, for certain spaces. Like it's not just like everywhere. We, we cover ourselves and clothe ourselves as a part of reconciling this idea of our, our uh, relationship with self. But we're also like the next layer out, right? If we keep going in these concentric circles is we're made for relationship with other people, social relationships. The only thing not good in the garden, this is wild, right? Pre-fall, God's like, good, 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 uh, what is it? Adam's alone, right? So even though he has relationship with God in a, in a perfect way, in a, in a glorious way, in a, in a wonderful way, he still is in some sense like, it's like a love movie, right? Like, oh, you complete me. Like that's in some sense what happens when Eve is offered to Adam and they're together. And what does Adam do? He, he starts writing poetry. <laughs> bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Finally, someone like me. Beautiful gift. And then from there, we also see that there is a relationship with the physical world that we ought to engage in, right? That we are doing stuff, that we're made to do stuff like cultivate and rule and all these different pieces. That's what we're made for, right? So really all that is a conversation around structure. This is how God made it. And then he says, in the space of that structure, be obedient to me right? Settle your identity that, that you come from me and that's a good thing. Serve and love and protect the person that you live with and cultivate the ground. Structure, direction. Does that make sense? You tracking so far? Yeah. Do you have any questions? Something not makes sense. It really matters. <laughs> if you don't get this, we're in trouble, okay? Good. Okay, so then the text for tonight is Genesis chapter three because we need to talk about the fall because I imagine if I'm talking about this relationship down here, you're like, I don't know that I feel that work goes that way. <laughs> like this really harmonious uh, in the garden, creative work, everything's great. Like I'm made for this, all that kind of stuff. Is that how work feels day in and day out? For some people, great. For, does anyone have a hard time with work? Okay, good. Whew. 
I was like, this talk is worthless for people that have a great time with work. Jeez. Okay, if you're having a hard time, here's why. When the fall happens in Genesis chapter three and this first relationship is broken, which it relates to obedience and Eve's obedience to the living God, it breaks everything else. And that's a bummer. One decision as it misdirects what God was intending transforms this whole space from blessing, which is what God offered to his creation in the beginning. And instead a curse comes and the curse is what fractures all of these relationships. Let's read it. Genesis 3. Y'all know, do you know the story? Can I assume that you know that Eve took the fruit from the, sa- the Satan, <laughs> the serpent, and ate it? Can I assume you know that? Okay, I'll skip a couple verses then. All right, verse six, here we go. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be uh, desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of this tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And it goes on to say that man and women are exiled from this garden space, this priestly space, this temple space like Caesar talked about last week. This is a really sad text because again, um, if you think Christianity is primarily about what it means just to be reconciled to God, there's a whole lot of things that you're missing because the Christian story actually begins with all of these relationships functioning in harmony, offering us a holistic picture of what it means to be human and what it means to serve and love the living God and serve and love our neighbor. And when the fall comes, did you hear all of the ways that these relationships are broken? Did you hear that when man and woman realized that they had been disobedient, what they felt like they had to do in the presence of God? They had never done this before. For you and I, it's like really common, right? Do you you remember the first time you hid from your parents because you did something bad? 
Probably not, but probably because it was so many times, right? It's just like really normal. But these are full-blown adults who are like, oh my good, what, what, what did you do? What did I do? What did we do? And they go into hiding away from the living God. So there's already a fracturing, but it'll be so much worse when God says, you can't be in my holy presence any longer. Not like this. The relationship with the self, the first thing they realize is that they're naked and they're ashamed of that. So ashamed that they take the time to put clothing on. That's also something that had not happened to this point where they're like, we cannot be vulnerable in this way. I can't be seen for who I am. I've got to hide all of this. And then when God comes and asks them, what did you do? What does the man say? Not me. That woman who you put here with me, let's just be clear, I cannot be blamed for what happened. And the woman's like, not me. <laughs> that weird snake that's talking, what in the world? Unfair. But in all seriousness, do you see the tension and the dissension within the social relationships immediately? It didn't even take any time. Like instant. All of a sudden, the person is alienated from all the things that he used to know so intimately and perfectly. Now, all of a sudden, all these things are broken. And even the space of our work. Work is a part of creation and good. You're made for it. The curse comes in like a parasite and begins to deform all that is in creation. That when crops grow up, so do thorns alongside each other and they choke out the good things of life. Do you see it happening all right here in front of us? Do you see how devastating this would be that your whole way of existing has been transformed because of the disobedience what you should be subservient to the living God and instead you have said, I would love to be my own God. And you look at these people and you think, what a bunch of dummies. I would have never made that call. <laughs> but the truth is you make that call every day when you wake up, don't you? Caesar prayed about not needing a bunch of little kingdoms from a bunch of little people all over this city. And we wake up every day and that's what we're doing. <laughs> how do I build more for me? How do I protect more for me? How do I, how do I get more for me? How do I make sure I am comfortable how do I make sure I don't have to ever live with the idea of scarcity, that I never have to live with the fear of where my next meal would come from? And who do I have to use to make all of that possible? Who do I have to step on or push down or climb over in order for me to be able to say, I'm gonna be okay? Or how do I use work in a way that says, I'm gonna exploit the work in every way? I don't care. You know why? Because you know what matters? Me. And you know what's so devastating is that this is packaged and sold constantly. And it's the water we swim in. You ever heard the story of the two fish that are swimming along and they run into another old fish? And the old fish says, hey boys, how's the water? And they keep swimming, kind of looking at him. That was weird. And finally one stops and looks at him and he goes, what the heck is water? <laughs> what does he mean? There are things that are flowing in and out of you all the time. And if you don't stop for a moment and say, what am I swimming in? What is all of this? Friends, this is what you're swimming in. A life in which this circle is erased and you try to find an identity and create a life 
by stealing from one of these places or looking to one of these places. Either you turn to yourself and say, what can make me the most happy? I'll find the deepest desire of my heart and pursue that thing with my whole life. And I bet on the far side of that, I'll feel good. Or I look to other people and I say, can you, are you my mother? Right? You ever read that book? Can, can you make me happy? I need you to make me happy. I need you to keep showing up. I need you to not let me down. I need you to never run around or desert me, right? <laughs> no. Rickroll, no? You guys too young for this? Come on. It was subtle. It wasn't like, uh, I'm trying to let you up a little bit because you're all getting a little too serious, okay? This is very serious, but we can take ourselves a little less seriously. Or we turn to this, and this is really the topic we're hitting on tonight, right? How, how often do we seek an identity from the work we do in the world? And Caesar said this last week, I'm pretty sure, that we work for an identity rather than from an identity, right? I'm gonna make much of me based on my success, based on the money I have, based on the life that I build, all of that stuff. Do you recognize how we objectify all of this stuff to try to make much of self? What stinks is you can know this like rationally and still be swimming in that water. Because I have thought about this like ad nauseum <laughs> and I still wake up and I'm consumed with the, 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 even the work of the church. I wake up and I'm like, how, does, how do we get discipleship in the hands of all these people? And you're like, oh, how holy is that? Wow, Tanner, what great thoughts you have that you go to bed with. No, that's not true. You know why I'm thinking that? Because if I can create a thriving discipleship ministry, maybe the people that I'm seeking approval from will finally be like, wow, he's the guy. This is amazing. We should follow him. And then I'll get all puffed up with pride and I'll be like, see, I'm the guy. I told you I could be the guy. I'm the guy, right? And I'm using these really, really great things in the way of trying to offer people helpful resources to grow their life, talking all about pride and, and uh, moving down. I'm like, hey, move down, move down, move down, move down into humility. That's the whole second half of this talk. It's on the other side of the board. Move down, move down. And I wake up every single day and I'm like, how do I move up? 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 Do, do you get it? Do you feel that? And here's what's sad about it. None of us want to say that. I don't want to say that. I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to say that. Like, uh, really? We're supposed to like teach each other about that and like keep it in check a little bit. But the water we swim in is the world says you've got to move up. If you don't move up for you, no one else is going to do it. If you don't care about you so much, no one else will either. And it's terrifying to live in that space. Why? Because none of us want to be unknown. One of us, none of us want to be forgotten. None of us don't want to, want to be like not looked out for or cared for. Life is hard in this way, friends. I don't want to come and teach you tonight and act as if this is an easy thing but it really matters because y'all are in this really formative. I just hit 30, so I'm like old, right? Like, I'm not even allowed to my own ministry anymore. We call it 20s. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, like they, they'll tell me if I can come back like in a week or so. But there's such a, a formative space in life that we're, we're asking a lot of these identity questions. You're probably asking those, right? Like how many of you are 100% settled in the career you're in and like, I'm just gonna do this forever. Sweet, let's do it in the back, I love it. I hope you're keeping that mullet forever too. Say you will, okay, great, I'm in. 
I'll follow that man. (laughs) No, we're wrestling with this. Like all the time, I bet, you're wrestling with these questions of identity and where to find it and how to secure it and how to know. Here's what's cool. So is the whole world. (laughs) You want to know you're in to a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus about things of the spirit and things of the Lord? This is a great way in. (laughs) Identity is a great way in because everyone is trying to work or earn or find an identity constantly. That's why LinkedIn exists. You guys on that thing? It is like, ugh, it's, uh, I have one. Okay, okay, I have. I've been recruited uh, by an army chaplain. (laughs) You would be perfect for this job. You have a pulse <laughs> and you're dumb enough to do ministry already. So you might show up and do it. Here. I was just like, okay, cool. That's the only job I'm qualified for on LinkedIn. That's amazing. Like that's it. But people are doing this constantly. Everyone is posturing and trying to earn. Instagram is about identity. TikTok is about identity. All of it is about how can, I, how can I know I matter? And here's what we can do. We can be so harsh and judgmental as Christians and be like, I wouldn't ever post something like that because I'm a good person. And that person is just clamoring for people to like them. And I'm not like that. Come on. You may not care about all the people that are liking your thing, but I guarantee there are at least three voices in your head that their approval mean more than anything in the world to you. So tonight's about humility in some sense for us to really check this out and say, this is the water we swim in. And what's gonna change it? Because as much as it's something we can like scoff at and and joke about and laugh at, all that kind of stuff, it's also killing us. Like I've never felt more restless and insecure than when it relates to these conversations about how I'm just trying to be okay. And often I treat it as if it's something I'm striving for, but really often my identity is like something I'm like running from. I just can't get caught by that thing because I think it'll literally eat me alive. Like I, I posture and I, I show up like I'm, uh, I've got it all together and I, I know what I'm doing. And then this little boy inside of me is like, don't let them see you blink. Fake it till you make it. And if they, if they catch you, you're done, man. You're done. You're found out. You're a fraud. Like those are the voices constantly <laughs> that are eating away. And so if you feel that way tonight as it relates to all, all of it, but especially work, let me um, offer you the good news of Jesus. And this isn't a, um, in some sense, this is a Sunday school answer that Jesus is the answer, right? Like, hey, how do we fix this? Uh, it's Jesus, sir, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 it, no, here's the truth though. It definitely is. But let me try to take you to a place that is like deeply granular in applying the gospel, hopefully in a way that you're like, oh shoot, that actually changes things. Like this isn't just a, oh, it's, 
It's like kind of Jesus, right? I don't know. Like, no, it's like, no, no, no. It's, it's Jesus. I promise you it is. Because he transforms the way that we can live and move and have our being in the world. And listen to this. He's the only one that offers this resource. You can go to any other religion, any other thought process, all this kind of stuff. None of them can offer what Jesus offers. So let me be like painfully clear about it, okay? Ah, Surprise, more art. <laughs> Here's what's amazing. The, the pattern of the culture looks like this. I should have drawn this earlier, sorry. It's kind of small, I hope you can see it. This is what the world tells you. This is the only trajectory possible. Failure's at the bottom down here and success is at the top over here. And here's how you live in the world. You climb this ladder. We literally have sayings about this. Climbing the corporate ladder. It's a saying. Here's what's really sad about it. We all start probably around here. This area is terrifying. <laughs> Uh, you mean nothing, completely, like nothing at all to anyone. That's what, that's what this box represents down here. But you can mean something, but the way that you mean something is you make much of yourself. And along the way, sometimes you'll get to make much, much of yourself and it won't affect other people all that much, but then sometimes you'll have an opportunity to make much of yourself and it'll affect someone else deeply in a really negative way. But... The more you're willing to substitute their pain for your gain, the higher you can get on the success scale. It's a pretty simple formula. That's all you gotta do. Be smarter than people. Be prettier than people. Be uh, ahead of people. Get, get as many likes as you possibly can. Find a following. Garner all of that stuff, that support, all of those things. Do that, and you can climb this magical ladder to success. And what's up there? What's, what is success? What's the picture of the good life? Money? What is it for you? It's probably not the same for everyone. We all got a pretty unique vision of whatever it is, right? But it probably has something to do with you being okay. Maybe at the base level, you're just like, I don't want for anything. I'm not afraid that I'm not gonna have the things that I need at a base level. At the max level, it's like I have everything. <laughs> I have all of it. Here's what's interesting. Look throughout history and tell me someone who had everything and was also happy. Can you name any? Maybe you can. Maybe, maybe there's one out there. When I read scripture, what I find is no. <laughs> all the people who pretty much had everything find out that all those things that they thought were gonna make them really happy ended up not doing that. How curious, that's so weird. So whatever the mythical success or happiness up here, no one's ever actually tasted it in a way that was deeply fulfilling. Okay, that's an interesting data point. Um, but if I did it, it would be different because I know how to prioritize values and all this different stuff. And so if I were to live into that, you know, that reality, I wouldn't hurt people that bad. I'd climb the ladder on my own. I'm a self-made. Is this not the American dream? Come on pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I had nothing and became something. The Modelo commercial, you guys like commercials? Oh, I love commercials. You guys don't like commercials? Why not? They interrupt the story that you wanna watch, but 
commercials of the water you swim in. They're 30 second stories about what real life is like, which is consumerism, carte blanche, materialism, all of it, the good life, all of it. You know what commercials make the least amount of sense? Perfume commercials. <laughs> Come up out of the water. Who is this guy? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Crazy good looking. And just at that moment when all the guys are like, I don't care about this, his hot girlfriend. And you're like, wow, what is th what's this all about? And they're like, hey, we got a boat. Watch this. Into the ocean. Commercial ends, Dior. Here's what's crazy. None of us have any problem with that. You don't watch that commercial and you're like, this is bull, right? None of that connects to anything they're selling. There is no logical connection here. Why aren't we angry? Why aren't we frustrated? Why aren't we like, no, 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 no. You just stole 30 seconds of my life. She is. She's like, get me back to my show. But I bet she's not angry. Why? Because she muted the TV. She's on Instagram. <laughs> Watching other 30-second videos that sell an equally appealing picture of the good life in a very different way that are curated to her likes and desires, which they get me all the time. I'm with you, all right? You know how many things I've purchased from Instagram ads? It's absurd. They work. Y'all, this is, this is what, uh, this is the water we swim in. These, this, these are the people you encounter. This is the workplace environments. This is like all of it right here. This is the, this is the scale, okay? So when Jesus comes, even his followers are expecting, hey, Caesar, when do I have to stop? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I do not, okay. Um, Jesus' followers were working on this scale even because their experience of, uh, of their belief in God, they're remembering back to a time when Israel had climbed this mountain and King David was the guy and they're thriving and they're the kings of their own kingdom. And, and, and it's not all bad. Like there's, there's stuff in this kingdom where they're living according to the law and David is a righteous man and he's, he's a man after God's own heart. He's, he's repentant and humble, all these different pieces. But when Jesus comes, they're like that Messiah, we want that one. So get the swords, like let's do this. Rome is done. He said he's the king, let's do this. Let's conquer it. And what they couldn't wrap their brain around was the fact that Jesus was going to live into this J-curve kind of shape and that was gonna be the way of renewal. That was going to be the way that the entire world was transformed, that he was going to say, listen, friends, I know what you want out of this. And what you want is not actually what you need. And here's why I know this, because I am your God. And the life that I made you for in relation to the curse that has come is a life that falls off of this cliff down into humiliation and death. And then it's raised again in newness of life. And the whole world is going to be transformed in this way. 
that Jesus brings to bear on on the the entire world, but also on our behalf. He says, "The, the power that I'm bringing is not one to come and demand the kingdom, but instead to come and sacrifice for the kingdom. And I'm willing, Philippians 2, it's so good. Y'all read this? Hold on. We got to read this. I wasn't going to read it. You got to read it. Should have done more sword drills in elementary school. This is taking forever. (laughs) Paul, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, full accord and of one mind. Do, here's what you do, Christians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you lo- not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. How is it yours? How could you ever run away from this pattern of living? How could you possibly do it? You want to know how? It's yours in Christ Jesus. Why? Crud. I lost my page. I was really getting into it. Here we go. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, death on a cross, all the way down, all the glory in the world, and he went all the way down. And therefore, what happens? God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This work of Christ, this humiliation, this incarnation, this dying The power of all this secures your justification. All the sin that you are deeply ashamed of, all the identity work that you've been trying to find everywhere else, Jesus shoulders all of that and takes it to the cross. Here's here's the sad part. We act as if that person in work is only good for the afterlife. We're like, oh, cool. Thank you. I'm glad for that. I'm gonna keep going and looking for an identity elsewhere. I'm going to keep trying to move up. It's my mom, sorry. <laughs> my mom, <laughs> she will call me at 10 a.m. and be like, what you doing? And I'm like, I am 30 years old. I am working a real job. And she's like, oh, well, I just went out to coffee with Cindy and you'll never believe what she's... And I'm like... Can I believe it at 6 p.m.? Because I'm home at that point. I'm sorry, y'all. That's got, like, that is like a, I got to talk to her about it, honestly. Because that came out way too easy. All right. We've got to get back to this, because this really matters. And I've got to finish before nine o'clock.
Do you see the way in which Jesus conquered sin and death? Is it how you would have done it? Would you have submitted yourself to the pain and suffering and loss, the hurt that comes with being subjected to the wrath of God? Is that how you would have tried first? No. You know how we would have tried? This way. I probably would have given in when, the, when Satan's tempting him on top of the temple, honestly. <laughs> right? You remember that story when he's like, hey, check this out. You can have all this. You can have it all. But what does it mean? Bowing to a master that is not my creator. And Jesus was like, I'm out. No, 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 no. I'm out. Here's the way. Here's the way that I'm going to save these people that I love from the brokenness that comes with sin and also the death therein. I'm going to die on their behalf. Friends, such a gift. The power of Christ. as it relates to your justification. Such a gift. What I want to encourage you in tonight is resting in this identity. You know what this does to these... (laughs) That wasn't that smooth. You know what this does to these relationships? It reorders everything. From the inside out, the crack runs all... You ever have a rock hit your windshield? Starts really small, splinters like crazy, right? If you catch it early enough, you can fix it just in the middle. It's going to be okay, right? You're looking at this, and the way that Christ's power in person transforms things is that he heals things so far as the curse is found. The words of joy to the world. You know this song? No more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He cares so deeply about your reconciliation with the Father. Deeply, friends. He has made you a child of God. Is there any more secure identity? You know what I want my son Jack to feel even now at six months old? That I have created a space of security and safety that I have offered him the things that he needs to live and move and have his being and thrive. Now, he says no words, right? He can't do anything. But what I can do is I show up every moment I can to meet his needs whenever he has one. I also sometimes let him cry as it relates to he's overtired and he needs to sleep, but I know what he needs. And there's an identity piece that's so deep there that we can trust the living God because we're his children. And that flows directly from here, this reconciliation with God, to who am I? I don't need to be any of these things that the world offers or other people offer. I don't, I don't need to try to find where happiness might be. Jesus says it's in himself. St. Augustine, one of my favorites, says, Oh, Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are what? Restless until they rest in you. We need a settled identity in the living God. And when we have a settled identity in the living God, we don't have to objectify people anymore. We don't need them. We don't need them like that, like need them like white knuckle need them. Instead, we we need them for the way that Adam needed other people in a social relationship of mutual love and care. But I can live an open-handed life and I can be a servant to all, as Paul would say. Why? Because God has offered me the things that I need in relation to his relationship. And when I move to my work, 
I no longer have to squeeze every ounce out of my work or try to exploit other people in relation to my work to earn more and to get more and to build more comfort and all that kind of stuff. Why do do I not need that anymore? Because I recognize that work is reordered in a way that says, no, go and do this. You can be meaning makers in relation to your work. That's a very, very good thing. Luther once said, uh, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor do. Neighbors do. God, God doesn't need it, but what a delight. Can you imagine just for a second if we all became Christians and then all tried to become pastors? That's not a comment on like whether or not we could be pastors. I think y'all are as capable as I am of any of these things, right? But are there things that you do in life that serve other people in relation to, I don't know, like what they eat or where they live? You know what I do? None of that. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't cultivate the ground in order for crops to grow so that families can feed their you know, kids. I don't do that. So if you stop doing that, that'd be a bad thing. If, if you clean spaces, right? You, you're, you're bringing order to what is chaos. Maybe even my office. You're like, wow, this guy's insane, right? Like there's, there's order that comes with this. We ought to work because it's a, it's a service opportunity, not only to serve and love our neighbors, but also to glorify the living God because this is what he's made us for. The person and work of Jesus restores it all. Do you see it? Do you remember that story with the tax collector? Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Ever heard of him? (laughs) You know what's interesting about that story is Zacchaeus was not told to stop being a tax collector. Weird. It's almost like taxes are necessary in some sense. He was also asked not to be lucrative in the way that he did business and to steal from people and his heart became overflowing with generosity in relation to the person and work of Jesus Christ that transformed him from the inside out. But I think he was still a tax collector and he was probably better at it and he was really fair and the roads still got paved. Do they have roads? I don't know. That stuff happened. Why? Because he was faithful in his work and he was seeing it as an opportunity for worship and for service. And so friends, to land this plane, geez, sorry, Caesar. It's like 11 o'clock, you guys okay? I'm just kidding. Here's the, here's like the, hopefully the aha for you. This is the power of Jesus for your justification. It's all his work and not your own. Praise God for that. You don't have to measure up, you don't have to earn it. You come to Jesus with exactly nothing and that is plenty. I can teach this message to my friends that are homeless and not feel bad about it because they don't have enough or they're not good enough or any of those things. I can genuinely offer them the gift of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. Why? Because they have exactly what they need, a humble spirit and a humble and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And the people that I know that have that probably more than anything are those people that I meet. So this is the power for your justification, but it's also the pattern for the way that you ought to live. Here's what we hate about this. (laughs) That your everyday life ought to be a descent into death. And the New Testament is abundantly clear about this. That the way that we live is union with Christ, which means we descend into his death. We are literally buried with Christ in it. And it it is in some sense a once and for all, and it's also a 10,000 opportunities every single day for the rest of forever. 
lowering myself, moving in this direction, a substitutionary love saying, I will die to myself that others might live and have life. I will die to myself in order to offer myself for the sake of other people. And in that death, you know what's gonna happen? The same thing that happens when a seed falls to the ground and dies and is planted under the earth and then watered. What happens to it? It begins to grow. It's all over nature. Have you ever tried to change anything about yourself? Right? Have you ever tried to change a new habit or, I don't know, go on a diet or anything like that? You know what happens? Here's how you change. Death to something, right? And you fully die to it, and then you're made new <laughs> in a newness of life, a new way, a new rhythm, a new pattern, and what happens? An ascension happens, right? You, you begin to grow in this really wonderful and beautiful way, but we don't want this pattern. We want this pattern. And you know what this pattern doesn't do? Descend. It never looks at death and says, what a good thing. We should really consider that. Jesus says, that is the first step towards growth. Dying to yourself. So you're like, this was supposed to be a faith and work talk, Tanner. What did you just do? You just took an hour to not talk about work. I am talking about work. Here's why. This pattern works everywhere. The structure and direction piece is for you to discern whatever workforce you're in and say, what was this meant for? What did God intend when he made teaching? <laughs> what did he want? What did he want? What do you think he wanted? When, he, when, when God put in the hearts of people a system in which children could be nurtured and trained up. Is that not what he wanted? For kids to be discipled in all of life? to learn the things of life and learn how to be contributors to a community that they might cultivate and, and help things grow? Isn't that what God wanted? A beautiful structure, a wonderful direction, but how does it get misdirected? How does that happen? My, my wife was a teacher for a couple years. She was teaching fourth grade and the school was dropping in the grading system, right? So they, they, uh, enough kids, not enough kids were passing the FCAT. And so as less and less kids passed the FCAT, you know what happened? Funding went down. Help me understand. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the teachers just aren't that good, so we gotta cut their funding and motivate them to get, oh, really? You think that's gonna motivate anyone? So here's what happened. The principal said, hey, we're stopping everything but science and reading because those are the two places that kids are failing the most and we need to get more kids to pass the FCAT because we need more money. Man, who does that hurt? She's coming home every day, like deeply sad because her fourth graders are just being kids <laughs> and they're stuck in a misdirected thing that's gonna lead them not to flourishing but to more brokenness in the space of their life. <clears throat> so frustrating. What about lawyers, right? This might be a little easier one to throw shots at unless there's some lawyers in here, right? What, what was the practice of law intended for? Yeah, counsel for individuals to receive justice or to achieve justice, right? A beautiful picture, why? Because our system is remarkable in relation to how justice is kind of spelled out, but it's super difficult. Our, my lawyer friends are some of the smartest people I know, and they have to be, just to understand the basics of it all. But what's happened? How, how has it become misdirected? We have things called, we, we call them things like ambulance chasers, <laughs> 
right? We call them things that say they're actually gonna pursue cases that are lucrative for them and their client, and they're gonna go beyond maybe the realms of justice in order to try to gain a lot of money from someone else's mistake. That stinks. That's really messed up. You could do this with every single vocation. I'm not picking on these two, but here's the deal. When you recognize that the structure underneath all this was actually a gift and it was really good, and you recognize really the problem here is it's misdirected, then you say, what would it take to transform that or change that? And here's what I think it takes. People living this pattern. You approaching your own work individually with whatever authority you have and saying, I'm gonna come into this place and die to self. I'm gonna show up to this place and I'm gonna know what the good work is for and I'm going to live my life sacrificially in order that the service, like the the people that we're trying to serve and the clients or whatever, they will be served and loved very well even if it means me having to die to self. Or you will actually take your entire vocation to task on this sort of thing and say, what needs to die here? What do I have the power to affect change over in relation to what actually needs to die about the misdirection of my vocation? And how am I gonna bring change? I'm gonna ask for it to die and I'm gonna be asked for it to be remade in newness of life. That's the work, like the gospel pattern over and over and over in whatever realm of life, that's what change looks like. So as you go back to your workplaces tomorrow, I don't know if you have all the authority in the world or if you have barely any, but you know what you can practice tomorrow? That pattern. You can wake up tomorrow morning and say, all right, I've got two options here. I can either really seek to ascend and push and earn, or I can ask the Lord, what does it mean for me to die to self today? And here's what's beautiful. When you begin to do that, it's not just you that's transformed and raised to newness of life, but there's actually cultural change that happens too. There's actually ways that people begin to pay attention to your dying and rising, that people benefit from your dying and rising. It's beautiful. Do you guys, uh, you guys watch the show Ted Lasso? No, okay. Shouldn't go there? You do. We can chat later. <laughs> In some sense, the premise of Ted Lasso is he is experiencing this constantly a humility, a humility in which he's dying to self and being uh, transformed, and he transforms a culture because of it. It's actually a really beautiful show. It has a lot of terrible things in it that I cannot endorse as a pastor, but it's re- there's a lot of real life in it that says when someone comes into a space like this and begins to affect change and offer themselves as a living sacrifice for the good of the community, that it actually has the power to transform far more than just the person. And I believe that's true of you. Jesus called us things like salt and light. You know what salt and light do? Preserve on the one hand, and salt just makes things taste good. Am I right? That's awesome. Who doesn't want to be tasty? But salt and light. And here's the other thing. As Christians, salt and light, they're never the main thing. Salt goes on something. You ever eat salt by itself? No. Why? Gross. Actually, my friend back there did on the way in. She has chapped lips now because of it. Um, <laughs> it, accents, it accents the main thing. So Christians, you don't have to be the main thing. You accent the main thing. Did, have you ever recognized that light's not the main thing? Have you all just been staring at that light and you're like, whoa, what a great light, so helpful. No, that light's helpful because you can see me. But you know when you'd notice it, if it wasn't on, <laughs> you'd be like, hey, what the heck? When you did see things in here, 
Christians can function in that way. I don't have to be the main point, but I am shedding so much light on the things that are needing to be seen and needing to be transformed and needing to be changed. Why? Because the gospel's alive in me. The Holy Spirit's alive in me, right? That's who we are. We are the leaven in this culture that spread thin and raises the entire bread loaf. You're like, that's not as cool of an analogy. I'm sorry, but Jesus used it because he thought it mattered. Because it takes very little and you might feel so little in your vocation. Let me remind you that your God is not that the power of the Spirit lives so deeply in you that a life of sacrifice and humility from a homeless man a really long time ago changed the whole world. Jesus was no one, (laughs) but everything about his life, the power, the pattern, all of it transforms everything. Let's pray. Should I pray, Caesar? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Lord, um, Use whatever of this you will in the hearts of these people. I love and hate the water we swim in. Uh, I, when I'm good at it, I love trying to chase success. And I pray that you would strip each of us from that today, that there would be such a lack of pride in us about getting our own and keeping our own and creating our little kingdoms and that we would function like priests. That we are not the main point, but man, do we point to it. That we reveal to the world the good news of Jesus Christ, not only as it relates to salvation, but as it relates to healing the curse so far as it is found. Oh God, would you make us so effective in the world that we would not retreat from the difficulties of social relationships or vocational relationships or the work itself, but instead we would lean in with a posture of let me die that this stuff might live, that people might be served, that folks might flourish because I am just offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Give me the courage tomorrow, Lord, to do that and to trust that you care so deeply about me that I don't need to care about me anymore. That the things that are placed in your hand cannot be plucked or taken away. And my heart feels so assured that I've been placed in your hand, Lord God, would you remind me of that tomorrow? you remind me of my union with Christ and my descending into death? Would you transform each of us that we would be like salt and light in our community, flavoring things, preserving things, bringing things that are dark into a place of being known? Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, care for us, so undeserving and so, so very grateful. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message.